In Advent, we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this Advent season, we have been stressing who Jesus is. The first week, we expressed the fact that the pre-incarnate Jesus was, in fact, the Word. And the Word was, became, the Word was God, and the Word took upon himself in addition to his deity, humanity. He became flesh. Last week, we looked at the condescending nature of the Son of God to be willing to take upon himself humanity. Today, we are going to be stressing the means by which God took upon himself humanity. How the true God became the true God-man. Therefore, we're going to be examining what the Bible says about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The theme this morning is simply this. The Bible clearly teaches the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that Mary is Jesus' mother, and that God himself is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There can be no mistaking that the Bible teaches that Mary is born of a virgin. I can't say that strongly enough. Because there are many, of course, who deny the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, you can't say that the Bible doesn't teach it. So let's look, first of all, that the Bible teaches that Mary becomes pregnant without having a sexual relationship with a man. Mary is a virgin when she conceives a child. Twice the virginity of Mary is specified in the text. Notice starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Gal named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So twice in that one verse that refers to Mary's virginity. Mary is told that she is going to have a baby, in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this would be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary's virginity is seen as the reason for the question that she now puts to the angel. Notice verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? That's the way the ESV, the NAS, and the NIV all translate this particular verse. But it is actually different here than it was in the verse that we just read where twice Mary is called a virgin. The King James actually translates literally with these words. 
Luke one thirty four, King James. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? How can this be, seeing I know not a man? It's just another way of emphasizing this simple truth, and that is that Mary did not have any sexual relationship with a man. When the King James and the original says that uh, she did not know a man, that's a euphemism for having a sexual relationship with a man. It was a common euphemism in the Hebrew culture. Genesis 4.1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. It was a euphemistic way of talking about having sex, just as in our culture, uh, making love uh, is sometimes a euphemism for having a sexual relationship with someone. The point is, the Bible clearly refers to her as a virgin, as one who has not had a sexual relationship with a man. Further, the Bible teaches that the baby Jesus is not fathered by Joseph or any other human being. The Bible states that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Mary was pregnant before she had a sexual relationship with Joseph. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. This truth is emphasized in both the book of Matthew and the book of Luke in the birth narratives. Matthew chapter 1, reading verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that's referring to having any sexual relationship, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant, he assumes that Mary has cheated on him with another man. Notice 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, so they did not have a sexual relationship, she was found to be with child. Now the child was by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph did not accept that. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph realizes that he did not have a sexual relationship with Mary, therefore this child was not his. It's likely that she told him that the child was a product of the work of the Holy Spirit, but he did not accept that. Certainly is not normative. Certainly is not uh, what one expects. And so he decides to divorce her. Now we need to understand the culture for a moment. 
the scripture makes it clear that they are in a betrothal period. In verse 18, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. A betrothal period is very similar to our engagement period in our culture. It was that time from when one committed themselves to being married to the place where they're actually married. Okay? So they were committed to marrying one another at this point. Now the betrothal period is a little different than our engagement period in the sense that even though one has made a commitment to marrying another person, perhaps even gave them a ring to show the sincerity of that commitment, uh, you are free to break that engagement at any point and any time. In fact, when I do premarital counseling, I remind people of that. Right up until you say, I do, uh, you can change your mind. But once you've said, I do, then you've done it. Okay, So uh, then you are married. Well, in that culture, the betrothal period was as binding as was the marital period. Once you were betrothed, you were legally bound to marry that person. So that's why our context says that he was thinking about divorcing her. Why? Because she had been, in his mind, unfaithful to her, uh, to him, because she was pregnant, and he knew it wasn't his child. Now, verse 20 of Matthew 1. But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She had not been unfaithful to Joseph. No other human being had fathered this child. And the angel makes that clear to uh, Joseph. Joseph accepts what the angel says and then goes through with marrying Mary. Verse 24. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. However, Joseph did not have a sexual relationship with Mary until after Jesus was, was born. Verse 25. But knew her not. There again is that euphemism for a sexual relationship but knew her not or did not have a sexual relationship with her until she had given birth to a son. After after Jesus is born, then they have a, a normal marital relationship. But until that time, that marriage was not consummated. Next, the Bible teaches that God is uniquely the father of Jesus. Notice, Joseph is told that the child which has been begotten is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice Matthew one twenty. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The conception is a result of the working of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 1. Verse 
Mary is told that she will give birth to a child that is the Son of God. Look at Luke one thirty two. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. Luke one thirty five. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy Son of God. Now, the scripture clearly teaches that there was no earthly, uh, biological father of Jesus. So that leaves us with this difficult idea of a virgin birth, of a woman conceiving a child without a sexual relationship with a man. Many people today find this impossible to believe. But what is interesting is that in many of the commentaries and in many of the materials that are written and said, they think that this difficulty has only arisen in modern times because of all we know about the precise mechanics of conception and birth. We know all about X and Y chromosomes. We know about fertilized eggs. Uh, we know about all of the intricacies that are associated with the, the biological aspects of conception. Therefore, it is harder for us to believe in the virgin birth than it was for those poor, dumb people in the New Testament era. However, however, the ancient world did not know about X chromosomes and Y chromosomes, but they knew as well as we do that babies were the result of a sexual relationship and that people who claimed to be pregnant by other means might well be covering up a moral and social offense. Okay? They knew, as well as we do, that it takes a man and a woman to have a baby. They got it. They understood it. They knew, in the New Testament era, that this was impossible. Okay? It should be noted that Joseph had a difficulty in accepting the concept of a virgin birth. When Joseph, who loves Mary, respects Mary, has a high regard for Mary, for it says that he wasn't willing to make her a public example and wanted to divorce her privately. Okay, He had a lot of respect for her, but when she said to him, Joseph, I haven't been with anybody, he wasn't buying it. As much as he loved her, as much as he respected her, as much as he had confidence in her, he couldn't accept when she told him that this child is not the result of her unfaithfulness. And the result was that he was planning to divorce her. It was only the intervention of God. It was only when God sent an angel to Joseph 
and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God. Only when God miraculously intervened in the life of Joseph did Joseph believe that this was indeed a virgin birth. Okay. So his own life shows us that it's difficult to believe in the virgin birth. It should be noted that Mary herself wonders, how could it be possible that she would have a child without a sexual relationship with a man? Verse 34 of Luke chapter 1. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? Or King James, How shall this be seeing I know not a man? I have not had a sexual relationship. She gets it. She understands. How in the world could this take place? This is not how babies are born. This is not how a pregnancy occurs. How can this happen? This is not a modern dilemma in the day and age in which we live and that the Bible is filled with all these myths because people were just so stupid they believed this stuff. It doesn't work that way. It was just as hard to believe in the virgin birth when Jesus was born, as it is for us today. They knew that it takes a man and a woman to have a baby. Notice the explanation that's given to Mary's question. How can this be? All right? And as we think today about how can this be? How could it have happened? How could it have taken place? Let's look at the explanation that the angel gave. This would be accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at Luke one thirty-five. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now let me just say first of all, that this does not have reference to any lurid sexual relationship between God and Mary. The Holy Spirit coming upon someone empowers that individual to do whatever God intends for that person to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Word of God tells us concerning the apostles, but you shall receive power... After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and under the othermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit came upon people to do things that they were incapable of doing in and of themselves. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson and gave him supernatural strength so that Samson was able to do what a normal human being would not be able to do in his own strength. So the first answer to this question is, well, the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to give birth. The Holy Spirit will enable you to give birth. And then secondly, the angel says that this pregnancy 
would result in a unique physical manifestation of the presence of God. For it says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Shall overshadow thee. That phrase, overshadow thee, is an extremely important and interesting phrase. For it refers to God's glorious presence with his people. Daryl Bach says this. Overshadowing refers to God's glorious presence before his people. It's actually a technical term. It's used of the physical manifestation of the presence of God on the Mount of of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 5. While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The cloud was the place in which God's presence was manifested. God is omnipresent. But the cloud was the place where God made his presence known. It was the place in which God's presence was uniquely revealed. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and it's the actual term for the Shekinah glory. And you think of the... uh, children of Israel that were led by the cloudy pillar by day, the fiery pillar by night. That represented the presence of God. So Mary is told that she's going to have a son. How's this going to be? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the result is going to be that the physical manifestation of the presence of God is going to be with you. That's who this child is going to be. This child is going to have the physical representation of the presence of God. Colossians 2, 8 and 9 puts it this way. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus is going to be both God and man. From that time on, the pregnancy was a normal one. Luke 2, chapter 6, Luke chapter 2, verse 6 tells us this. And It was while they were there that the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. When the days were to be accomplished, she had a normal nine-month pregnancy after this baby was conceived. So, How can this be? When one considers what else God has done, the virgin birth is reasonable. Look at verse 36. And behold, think about this. Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
That's why when we started, we said that sixth month referred to Mary's, excuse me, Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth was barren. She was past her child-bearing years. She had no hope of having a child. But God enabled this barren woman to have a child. Therefore, God could cause Mary to have a child. And you say, oh yeah, but there's a huge difference. Huge difference between a barren woman having a child and a woman having a child without any sexual relationship. There's a pretty good-sized gap in there, which is true. There is a pretty good-sized gap in there. And then we have this statement, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let me ask you a question. Is that true? That nothing is impossible for God. God can do all things. We are told in Ephesians, God can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is it possible... Could God cause a woman who had no sexual relationship with a man to give birth? Could God enable a child to be born without a human father? Think with me about Genesis. Chapter 1, when God created man and woman and took him from the dust of the earth and breathed into him life. Adam was created without a mother and without a father. Science, science cannot tell us where life comes from. Science teaches us that that which is eternal is matter, for it cannot be created nor destroyed. It says everything else came from this non-living thing. Science teaches us that you can't have spontaneous generation. You can't have life coming from Something that's non-living. So then where does it come from? Well, science doesn't answer that question. Life has to come from God. He is the source of all life. Can God cause a virgin birth? Of course he can. It's reasonable. For with God, nothing is impossible. Well, it's a nice academic exercise, and we can argue about some things, but, but what's the significance? What does it matter? Okay? Who gives a rip, one might say? As long as you believe in Jesus. You know? As long as you celebrate the season. As long as you get goosebumps bumps as you think about this baby lying in a manger. Who cares if Joseph is the father or not? What does it matter? Well, let's look at the result of the virgin birth. 
The result is that Jesus is both the son of God and the son of a human being. John Piper says this, and I quote, The common understanding is that the Son of God implies his deity, which it does, and that the Son of Man implies his humanity, which it does too. Jesus is one at the same time, fully God and fully man. Jesus is referred to as the Son of God in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Then verse 35. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The title Son of God refers to his deity, and it is a title that is found throughout the New Testament. It's not just in the birth narratives. He's also referred to as the Son of Man. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Timothy tells us there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is referred to as the Son of God, and Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. And in our text, both his deity and his humanity are referred to in verse 32. He will be great. Now notice the greatness. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He's going to be great because he's going to be the son of God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Speaking of his humanity. Speaking of how he is going to have this inheritance as a human being. And sit on the throne of David as a human being. Referring to this millennial kingdom that is going to come. And this time in which that, that kingdom is going to be established. What is the significance? The significance is that because he is the son of God, he is to be worshipped. He is to be worshipped as God is to be worshipped. The father is not diminished in any way by our worship of the son. In Philippians, we are told that he is exalted in his humanity as the God-man. He is exalted. We saw that last week. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the next statement says, to the glory of God the Father. God is not diminished in our worship of Jesus because Jesus is God. It's not inappropriate for us to worship Jesus, to bow before him, to do veneration because Jesus is God. But Jesus is also a man who can identify with us, who lived this life among us, who died in our place, taking upon himself our sins, John 3, 16, you know the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John twenty thirty one says, But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Those two ideas, that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, 
There's the humanity. These things are written that you would believe that Jesus is that promised one that would come. The one that Isaiah says is going to be born of a virgin. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the one that back in the garden, when God said to Eve that you are going to bring forth a a child and ultimately that child is going to bruise the very heels of Satan. This is Jesus. He is the Christ. The Son of God. And that by believing you would have life in his name. Jesus would not be able to save us if he was not fully God and fully man. And in order to be saved, you must believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's not about just believing. You know, there are so many Christmas stories and songs and everything. It's about believing, you know? But believing that this plant can save you can't save you. Believing that a good luck charm can save you can't save you. Believing in a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible can't save you. The Jesus of the Bible is fully God and fully man. And that Jesus is the only Jesus that can save you. And we are called on to believe in Jesus who is fully God and fully man who came to this earth to save us from our sins. That's the gospel. That's the marvel of Christmas. That's the glory of Christmas. Clearly taught in the scriptures. And certainly no more difficult to believe than to think that life comes from nowhere. That life just somehow existed. No. Life has to come from something living. And that living thing is God. It's not unreasonable to believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. For with God, nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would grant faith to all who are seated here this day, that they would place their faith in a God who is able to send forth his Son to be born of a virgin in order to live on this earth as a God-man who would die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the dead so that our sins would be forgiven and we enjoy peace with you. Lord, we're thankful for this message of Christmas. And Lord, we realize that anything else is not the true message of Christmas. So Lord, grant faith to all who are here this day that they would place their faith and trust in the Jesus, the one who's truly God and man, who came to take away our sins. May we look to him and him alone as the means for our forgiveness and fellowship with God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.